Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the pod. Welcome back to Crunch Time with Keegan and the boys. I'm joined today by Sam Gonsi and Tanner Dislin. We'll be talking about the upsets galore in college basketball from this last week, the MLB lockout, and more here on episode 43 of Crunch Time. That MLB lockout, that'll be an interesting conversation. Why is why is Major League Baseball sabotaging themselves? We'll talk about that more later. But first, you know what's coming. It's winners and losers. Sam, who was our winner of the episode? So it has to be the leader of one of the hottest teams in the NBA. And that, of course, is the one and only John Morant, who was on fire last Monday against the San Antonio Spurs, finished with 52.7 boards and two assists, hitting crazy uh, halftime buzzer beaters, hitting the gritty on his way to celebrate. is just a great day to be John Morant, to say the least. No kidding. I mean, having 52 points, like, let's break this down a little bit deeper. He went 22 for 30 from the field, which is 73% from the field. He only made four free throws. Four free throws in route to 52 points. Whenever you have a guy like James Harden going off or something like that, you know, it's you're typically getting 16, 20 made free throws. He had four free throws and only four threes as well, which means that 16 of the 52 points came from threes and free throws. So a lot of his baskets were either at the rim, mid-range, typically not the easiest shots in the NBA. John Morant just makes it look easy. And I mean that out of that buzzer beater shot at the end of halftime, it's a deep pass from the, from the out of bounds line on the other half of the court, the way he catches it, it looks like he's falling out of bounds from an improbable angle. And of course it makes it, it was that type of night. The Spurs had no chance, no prayer. John Morant is just that guy. And he has rightfully launched himself into the, the MVP conversation. I tell you, he, he's just a, a walking highlight reel. You mentioned the, the buzzer beater right before halftime. I mean, to, to, if you hadn't seen that play, the ball was thrown full court in which he caught it on the baseline and caught, set himself and released the ball in midair and made the shot along the baseline, including a crazy poster. I mean, what he does every night is always on Twitter. It is always very noteworthy. He's a highlight reel. He's leading one of the hottest teams in the NBA. So he absolutely deserves to be our winner for the week. No doubt about it. John Morant is our winner of the episode. Our loser of the episode. It's pretty obvious to us and pretty obvious to anyone watching the game. But Tanner, who would our loser of the episode be? Yes, on Sunday, the afternoon game in the NBA Sunday Showcase was the Knicks and the 76ers. And in that game, they were a combined 79 free throw attempts, including 27 from Joel Embiid himself. And the Knicks' two big men, Mitchell Robinson and Jericho Sims, each fouled out. So there were 12 fouls between the two Knicks centers. Joel Embiid took 27 free throws himself. And they were 79 total. It was very tough to watch. There was no flow to the game, no flow in the offense. It seemed like every single time in the half court, someone was getting fouled. And usually James Harden, 
and Joel Embiid, something that has been a problem in the past for the NBA, and they have went ahead and kind of changed the rule book uh, for that exact purpose. And it looks like, I won't call it a failure, but it looks like you, the rules can still be taken advantage of to get a to get a high number of free throws. But uh, it was brutal to watch, and I think it's it's poor quality product to watch a game like that. And uh, hopefully, they're able to get get everything together and, and kind of standardize how they go ahead and ref these new rules. Because because like I said, it, it was really not not fun to watch. I want I want to hear you say that one more time. How many free throw attempts? 79 79 so if you're someone who's listening and you're like okay 79 that's a big number but what does that mean let me break it down for you according to the nba the average number of free throw attempts per team this season is 19.9 which round that to round that to 20 that means per game you should roughly see around 40 we were one free throw attempt away from double that you take the average, you double that. That's what you saw this past Sunday between these two teams. The pace of play was garbage. That was something that you talked about. There was no flow to the game whatsoever. It felt like an, it felt like a whistle was being blown every other possession. It probably was at that rate. I don't know exactly what, like, I would love to go back and look at, like, how much time per whistle it was like take across all 48 minutes. How often did those whistles come? It was just a terrible game to watch. And if you watched it, I'm sorry, because there were much better things you could have been doing with your time than watching free throw attempts. It was just bad. One more stat that perfectly encompasses it. Joel Embiid won for 37, 62% of those 37 points came from the free throw line. He made 23 free throws 37, 37 points 23 from the line that's 62 percent of his points came from the charity strike in a 37 point outing i i mentioned the stat pace of play uh that that's a stat that has been mentioned in the past by none other than rob manfred who is the commissioner of the mlb he recently came out and said that we will not have the first two series of this upcoming Major League Baseball season. That's a perfect segue into the next segment of the episode where we go back to the diamond with Dislin. Now, we we had the diamond with Dislin quite a while ago, and it was kind of like, okay, the lockout has started. That's That's where we were. And we knew exactly when we would come back to the diamond. It would be whether we find out whether games are getting canceled or the lockout was over. It was one of those two things, and one of those two things has happened. Let's go on the dime with Dislin Tanner. Break us down through some – how did we get here? We had so much time just a few months ago to, to get baseball games, and now spring training's gone, and we're missing opening weekend. It's being pushed back at least a week. How did we get here? First off, it's just really sad to see because as you said we had so much time and how did we get here we got here because of one thing and one thing only unwillingness to negotiate it was put off it was procrastinated until it became time where it absolutely needed to get done in which the two sides met for an extended period and weren't able to reach that agreement so what it was was absolutely 
just not spending enough time at the negotiating table. How many meetings did you see on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, where they were saying they lasted five, 10 minutes because one side was so embarrassed or, or, or humiliated by the other side's offer that they wouldn't even entertain a negotiation and had to make a point and go ahead and walk out 10 minutes into the meeting, which of course left for less negotiating time and is exactly how we got here because two sides were prepared to make an were prepared to stage an all-nighter to try and get this done. That didn't have to be the case. So that's how we got here. Before we talk about what's next, because that's something that all baseball fans are thinking about. Before we talk about that, who's whose fault is this? Who's who's the biggest person to blame in this situation? When you look at the, the the conversations here, I think the concerns of the Players Association it falls into two two categories. The first of which, and I think the more important one, is the facilitation of competition and encouraging owners to spend money. And that's done through two ways. One, that is done through salary minimums. I mean, you have the, the situation where small market teams aren't spending money and, and teams like Pittsburgh and Cleveland in, in recent memory, having payrolls of under 20, under $40 million while the Yankees and Dodgers are out here spending 250, 250 plus million on their salaries. That's a problem. And, and that is something the players want to address because at any point when they get drafted, they want to have the opportunity to get paid in the area that they were drafted. And that makes sense. Uh, another way this could be achieved is I think, Removing the draft compensation ties to free agents. Um, there, there are numerous scenarios where, where an owner doesn't want to go after a key free agent target because he declined a qualifying offer and then has a draft, draft pick tied to him. And, and in successfully landing that player, you would lose draft compensation. And, and that really doesn't make much sense. Um, if you want to get value for a player who leaves your team, trade him before he does that. That's the way it works in pretty much every other league. So, so that tie between draft compensation and, and free agent signing uh, doesn't make much sense. And it's another way where, where owners can kind of discourage spending. The second major bubble, I think, is, is making sure that players are, are reaching the league when they're ready and making sure they're compensated fairly when they do. The, the problem with the way it's structured now is that your ability to reach arbitration and then free agency is directly tied to service years in the MLB. Well, guess who controls whether or not you make it to the MLB? The teams. So they clearly have an incentive to keep you in the minors as long as possible. So they can keep, for, for lack of a better term, keep that cheap labor, really, and, and avoid hitting those arbitration years and, of course, the early, the early trip to free agency. I want to read you two different quotes. One from December and something that was tweeted today. Uh, this first one is a quote from Rob Manfred on December 2nd. He said, simply put, we believe that the off-season lockout is the best mechanism to protect the 2022 season. We hope that the lockout will give the jumpstart, will jumpstart the negotiations and get us to an agreement that will allow the season to start on time. The next proposal from, the ma from Major League Baseball came 43 days after that quote. And then there's this that came from today from Mike Trout. I want to play. I love our game, but I know we need to get this CBA right. Instead of bargaining in good faith, MLB locked us out. Instead of negotiating a fair deal, Rob canceled games. Players stand together for our game, for our fans, and for every player who comes after us. 
we owe it to the next generation. Simply put, like this was an owner-imposed lockout. It felt like from the beginning, it was designed to delay the season and blame the players for delaying the season. Whoever, quote-unquote, wins a lockout is whoever seems to win the social media battle, whoever wins the impression battle on, on the fans. What do the fans think? Do the fans blame the owners? Do the fans blame the players? A couple years ago, 10 years ago, the players don't have that great of a connection with the entire fan base across all of MLB. That's not the case here in 2022. MLB isn't as large on social media as the NBA is, as the NFL is. But when guys like Trout talk, fans listen. And it seems like from everything that I've been able to see of fans talking about the owners, talking about Rob Manfred, it seems like everybody is pointing at the people on top. And it seems like that's where all the blame deserves to go. Yeah. And, and getting back to that original question, because, you know, getting wrap, wrapped up in, in what the sides want. I mean, did, did any of that sound unreasonable to you wanting to, to make it so you have a chance to get paid where you drafted. So you, when you, for your first six years, because remember six years of service time till you get free agency. So for six years, you make yourself at home. You build a family in this region. And just because you got drafted to a small market team, you don't have to move because they won't sign you to long-term money. Does that sound unreasonable to want that? Of course not. And anytime you have this kind of demand, or not, when you have this, this struggle between ownership and labor, it, it's, it, it's really difficult to see a scenario in which you side with with management and, and especially in this situation, yes, there are, there are certainly some, some professional baseball players who are financially well off, um, but they are nowhere near as well off as the owners. And that's something that we forget. We get wrapped up in, in the people who are making those demands. Yes. Some of them are financially well off, but you compare it to who they're making the demands against, of course. And where is the value to the game? This was something that you said, Key, and I think uh, I think it was Scott Van Pelt who said it, where you can take the very next X amount of best baseball players and move them to the MLB, and the product will be terrible. No one will watch. You can do the same thing for the owners. I guarantee you half, half of us won't even know. If it wasn't published in huge headlines, half of us would not know exactly who the owner is and that's the problem who holds the value and how are they compensated compared to the one aspect of the game that you can't replace is the players and the talent they bring to the table they're not replacing all of these players so the lockout's just going to continue to go on and how long how long can we expect this to go any last thoughts sam do you have anything to add on the lockout situation i'm not surprised at all just knowing who rob manfred however the hell you say his name is yeah you know how you say his name you say rob Manfred because that's what he is but sam i mean now that there's not going to be mlb for a while i mean baseball fans are looking for a fix can you say a word or two in support of college baseball i mean yeah definitely um for one the games aren't as long so plus there a lot more runs Again, I would I would say it's a plus, but some traditional baseball fans might disagree. Um, I'm more right and honest, 
And honestly, obviously you're not watching guys like Mike Trout, but um, SEC baseball is probably uh, where fans are going to migrate to most. Arkansas, Florida, LSU, Ole Miss are always top dogs. But yeah, I think it's a good thing for uh, college baseball. This is probably the best thing to ever happen to college <laughs> baseball. And also minor league. I didn't know uh, minor league was not part of the MLB CBA contract. So I'm sure uh, minor league teams everywhere are definitely getting increased in attendance. So it'll be interesting how with this MLB lockout and not knowing how long it's going to last how that'll affect leagues like uh, the ML- MILB as well as college. It'll be interesting. It sucks, but baseball's not over. Go get yourself a college baseball team. You'll see some quality baseball, as Sam just said. Dang, I didn't know that. Yeah, minor league teams Me neither. will play. Yeah, it's right here. Minor league teams will play as scheduled. So from what I read, it's the fact they can't be – pulled up to the majors is basically what so there's no mlb so yeah they can rotate around throughout the leagues double a triple a single a rookie season all that fun stuff so yeah i i thought that was kind of crazy yeah i didn't to be honest with you i didn't i I thought the uh i thought minor leagues were nixed too so that's a pleasant surprise i mean there's still options as we have laid out. And one more thing I'd like to say um, is that obviously it sucks that there's no baseball and, and, and the athletes won't be working, but there are numerous other jobs impacted by this too. And uh, I mean, people who work at the stadiums, people who work for the organization, not in a notable capacity, uh, analytics people, uh, equipment people, people who obviously need to work to feed their families. So that is another consideration that certainly should be noted and uh, just pray that the two sides can get it together and, and make an agreement soon. So all this can end. Yeah. Before, uh, before going to break, that was something that I was going to say about uh, something similar to that, that I was going to say about the made the minor leagues was that the, the minor league teams you know, oftentimes they're not in the same city as the major league teams. And so those minor league teams oftentimes bring a good amount of revenue to those, you know, to those cities that don't have the major league teams in them. Like here in Des Moines, where, you know, where I'm based out of, you know, there's, there's the Iowa Cubs. I didn't think that they're going to have games. I didn't know that until just now, but the fact that they're going to be able to still have games that's great for Des Moines, as for the rest of the minor leagues. Like we've said these last few minutes, find a minor league team to adopt. Adopt a college baseball team if you don't already. So we'll still at least have that baseball. But on the other side of the break, we'll talk about a different type of b-ball. A lot of great basketball happened this past weekend. So stick around to their side of this break to break down some basketball. Welcome back from that quick break. Let's talk about some basketball. We had quite the interesting weekend because something happened that had never happened in the history of college basketball, period. It's not one of those situations where it hasn't happened since dot, dot, dot. It never happened before. We had seven teams in the top 10 in the AP top 25 
that lost in one day. The top six lost all in one day, one through six and then nine. All those teams fell this past Saturday. We're not going to run through each and every single game. I'm just going to ask this question. Of the seven ranked teams that fell, which one surprised you the most? You know, there's so many options to choose from. But, I mean, you had Baylor upset Kansas. We talked about that last episode. Tennessee upsetting Auburn. Auburn's kind of on a skid. Arkansas upsetting Kentucky. Again, Arkansas is one of the hottest teams playing at home. Tough place. Not surprised there. The one I am most surprised at has to be St. Mary's versus Gonzaga. They ended up, and it wasn't even like uh, St. Mary's hit buzzer beater to win. Um, they end up actually winning by 10 this one. And we watched the game. It was kind – they were kind of manhandling Gonzaga majority of the game. Shet Holgram and Drew Timmy just couldn't get going. And that's honestly what it – what ended up costing uh, Gonzaga. Yeah, I, that certainly surprised me. Um, however, I'm going to go with just what I think was the worst loss out of the ones we see here. And I think that's Arizona. I mean, Colorado's not a bad basketball team per se. They're a middle of the pack team. I mean, they're, they're, I believe, 19 and 10. I mean, 11 and 8 in conference. They're a fine basketball team. Arizona should beat them, right? And I know there are no easy road conference games, but this one really surprised me. And then I'm not falling at all in the next AP rankings again really surprised me. So I think that Arizona losing to Colorado is, is my most surprising outcome from last week. Yeah. I'm going to have to agree with you, Tanner. For me, it went, it was really close between these two games for Arizona. Arizona was winning at halftime, but you know, they're winning. They're up at five at half and then got completely obliterated in the second half. In the second half, they were outscored 47 to 26. Like, that's, that's not even close. Uh, an unranked opponent, and sure, on the road. But the second team in the nation getting outscored on the road by 21 in a single half. Yeah, That's not tough. <laughs> not good. But then you have St. Mary's and Gonzaga, where, so at least for Arizona, at least they were doing well for a half. Like you said, Sam, Gonzaga, like right from the tip, they didn't seem right. And they continued that for the remainder of the game. And not only did St. Mary's jump out to a lead and hold it for the rest of the game, there wasn't even a moment where you thought that Gonzaga was like, oh, they got a bucket. They got another bucket. They're starting to go on a run and St. Mary's closed the door. Gonzaga never even posed a run. So that's why both of those are so close to me, but so close for me. But whenever you have the second ranked team in the country, getting outscored by 21 in a single half. I'm going to lean that way, but both of those, not good losses. Uh, the only one, the only two other games that we didn't mention uh, was Michigan State beating Purdue by three and TCU beating Texas Tech by three. And again, it was like Michigan State and TCU, those are two teams that aren't ranked beating ranked opponents. But those are two still rather solid teams. 
Michigan State has been ranked this season. They're right outside the top 25. And TCU, they're a 19 and 9 team. They're 8 and 8 in the Big 12, which is one of the toughest conferences in all of basketball. So that's that's a tough team, regardless ranked or not. So those, I say, those are some of the other upsets that we didn't mention. Yeah, I just just as we rolled through them here, I think obviously I, I went with the Arizona game. I think my, my number two is was TCU over over Texas Tech. I think, I mean TCU and and Colorado are similar teams. I think, um, but a Arizona is better than Texas Tech. I think we all know that. And the margin of victory, 16 versus, you know, 16-point <laughs> loss and the three-point loss are rather different. A little word in support of Gonzaga. Um, yes, they, they did not look good. That is not – that was not a good outing. However, St. Mary's is having a great year, and they are a team that I think is worth keeping an eye on. 24-6, and six, they have a, a close loss to Wisconsin in that uh, on that resume, a win over Notre Dame, a win over – um obviously went over Gonzaga so that team could that team is it can be scary and I mean it was also St. Mary's senior night it, it was their last game of the season at home like they, there was so much emotion for them going into it so that's also something that you know pushed you know that team over the top in that particular game yeah St. Mary's has been having a great season oh and a win over Oregon too I forgot about them yeah you know you see all these upsets every home team won during these upsets so for those of you who don't think home court advantage is a thing look at this slate of game and tell me how it's not that's all i gotta say about that yeah i mean i think i think in the pros there's a there's a good argument to be made that it's overrated that is not the case in college atmosphere is 70 percent of the game it, it, it what it does for for the energy for the team the confidence, all of that, the energy in the building cannot say enough about atmosphere in college sports and exhibit A on why that <laughs> exhibit A on how that works. Now we've gone through, we've talked about all those upsets, home court advantage matters in college basketball. Let's see if home court advantage matters in the NBA, or at least in terms of our picks. Let's go into pickums. Let's start with some games happening on Thursday. The first one we'll talk about the Miami Heat traveling to Brooklyn to take on the Nets. Kevin Durant returns in this game. Does KD get a win? And that, that was quite possibly the perfect segue because I cannot think of a team where home court matters more than the Brooklyn Nets who will have <laughs> will not be with one of their superstars when they are on their home court. That plus the number one seed Miami Heat. Yes, Keys, you get credit for Oh yeah. Predicting that, I mean, it's not over yet, but you you get a little bit of credit now. I'm going with the Heat. Uh, rusty KD, no Kyrie Irving, plus the Heat are playing great basketball. I got Miami. Yeah, you uh, you said perfectly. Not much, not much more I could add. I'm I'm rolling with the Heat as well. Hey Sam, great pick. <laughs> we got three great picks in a row. How could I go against the team that I picked to be first in the Eastern Conference all the way back at the beginning of the season? I'm taking the heat here to get it done. I can't wait. Like, I'm so glad that Kevin Durant's finally back. Whenever you have a star in the league, a superstar in the league coming back, that's a good thing for everybody. 
So I'll be eager to tune in to watch Kevin Durant's return, but it's not going to be enough to beat the flaming Miami Heat. That was bad. I was like, give me some thumbs down for that one. The next game, Golden State Warriors traveling to Dallas to take on the Mavericks. Who gets it done here between the chef and Luka Magic? This game is going to be closer than a lot of people think. Obviously, it's a battle between Steph and Luca. It's this was a tough one, but I think Draymond being hurt is hurting the Warriors more than people realize. And that's why I'm going with the Mavs here. I got uh, Dallas kind of pulling an upset over the Warriors here. I see, you know, these teams played the other day. And it resulted in the Warriors blowing a 20-point lead in the second half. And and Dallas ended up winning. And I don't think that's going to happen again. I think think the Warriors are kind of saw what happens when you get complacent. Steve Kerr is not going to let that happen again. And led, of course, by the greatest shooter to ever do it, Steph Curry. The Warriors go into Dallas, get revenge for that lead they blew, and get the win. And I feel like you're reading off my sheet or something. That's a great pick. That was that was something. Uh, dang it, man! I was so excited to, to to break that down. Took it right out of my mouth. And so, yep, I got I got the Warriors for that exact reason. They're up 20 on this team and blew the lead. You know, t- Sam, I totally agree with you. With the fact that not having Draymond Green definitely hurts this team. And the trade that the Mavericks made, getting Dinwiddie, getting rid of Porzingis, that's been a big plus for Dallas. But I don't think that the Warriors are going to let the Mavericks get away with this one again. Dallas is doing really well right now, but not enough for the Warriors to bounce back. Let's go to Saturday. College basketball returns in our lineup here on Saturday. We have a top 15 matchup between ranked 14th Arkansas Traveling to ranked 13, Tennessee. Sam, you're the Arkansas guy here. Are you taking your boys for the third straight episode in a row? Make it three times, baby. You know, J.D. Note, one of the most underrated players in NCAA right now, just has been putting this team on his back game in and game out. I can't say enough about J.D. Note, but the team, the team gets it done in close games. We saw it against Auburn. We saw it against Kentucky. And we saw it again tonight against LSU. Somehow, some way, they're going to go to Knoxville and upset the Volunteers at home. You know, I, I get that pick. Um, I do. And honestly, part of me wants to pick Arkansas because they've done well for me when I have picked them. But I just cannot ignore the conclusion that we just came to earlier on the pod, and that is when you have two seemingly evenly matched teams, the one factor that can push one above the other is home court advantage. And in a conference as tough as the SEC, night in and night out, that helps. And I think this game will be no different. Both coming off of big wins, Arkansas over Kentucky, Tennessee over Auburn, and I just think the home court advantage is the factor. And I've got Tennessee winning at home in another 
seemingly every night top 25 SEC matchup. I'm in a really weird situation here because the last two weeks I have picked against Arkansas and I've been wrong both times. So what do I do tonight when Arkansas is playing LSU? I bet on Arkansas minus five. What happens? LSU covers. So the one time I'm on Arkansas side, they lose. But every time I've gone against Arkansas, I've also lost. So which one am I trying to break here? Here in Pickums today, I'm going to try and break one of the streaks. I'm going to hop on the Arkansas train. I'm going to try and – I'm not going to get this wrong on the episode three times in a row being against Arkansas. I'm not taking that chance again. So, I like Tanner, I'm getting what you're saying here. Tennessee at home, top 25 matchup. That's what we've been talking about. Teams getting upsets on the – you know, doing gain upsets when they're the team at home. But Tennessee is the favorite team here. I don't know how that plays into it. Arkansas is not an unranked opponent hosting a ranked opponent. So it's a little different, but home court's advantage is still a big factor. But I'm going to take Arkansas to get it done here. Let's go over to Sunday. We'll stick with college basketball first. Another top 25 game. Tanner, you said top 25 matchups every single day. We got another one. This one, your 24th ranked Iowa Hawkeyes traveling to Illinois to take on the Fighting Illini. This has been a rivalry game the last few years. It has been heated back and forth between these two teams. Illinois got the first matchup. Who gets the second one here? I tell you, I, I mean, obviously we are Iowa fans, but Illinois gets the second matchup and they get it for two. Two reasons, Kofi Coburn. Iowa is a severely undersized team, really struggles to establish presence in the paint, gets out-rebounded a lot, and that's the key to Iowa this year is that when they win the rebounding battle, they are a very, very good team. And I just don't think it's possible with the behemoth and the skill and the strength that is Kofi Coburn. So... For all of that, Illinois dominates the paint, able to play inside out, which is when they're at their best, and Illinois gets the win at home. Tanner, I couldn't agree with you more. I think Kofi Coburn, he had a double-double last game, and I think he has another double-double again in this one. I think he is going to dominate these Hawkeyes. The only way I could see... The Hawkeyes pulling this one out is if Kofi Coburn gets in foul trouble. That's literally the only way. But, I mean, hats off to Keegan Murray having a great season. I just don't see him doing enough to get this one done. Three Iowa fans, all three Iowa fans not picking the Hawks. I agree. Illinois has been, been a team here going into late February, early March. Going into early March here, they are a team that is hot. They're going to keep it up here. Tanner, I loved what you're saying about the Iowa's weakness being Illinois' strength. That's not something that bodes well for Iowa. When your weakness is rebounding, and that's something that the other team's really great at, Illinois is going to get a bunch of second-chance opportunities. And when Kofi Coburn gets a bunch of second-chance opportunities, that is not going to end up well. But Sam... That's exactly correct, though, what you're talking about, about 
uh, Coburn getting in foul trouble. If he does get in foul trouble, that is going to be hell for Illinois because if he's if he's not going to be on the floor for a large portion of the game, look for Iowa to get the win. But that's kind of something that's hard to predict. So three Iowa alumni all picking against the Hawkeyes, not something that I expected to see happen. We also have one other game we'll be picking on Sunday, this one in the NBA, this one between two teams of which fandoms are in one room at the same time. We didn't see that one coming, but it's Tanner's Knicks taking on my Clippers in L.A. Tanner, who are you taking here between the Knicks and the Clippers? Boy, two straight games where I get to pick against my favorite team. Nothing <laughs> makes me happier, but looking into the basketball of it all, I mean, the Knicks are 3-16 and 16 in their last 19. You have the Clippers who are playing inspired basketball, putting together an a overachieving season without their two star players and one who is set to make a return in the near future. I think as it currently stands, the trajectory of these teams could not be further apart. And because of that, the Clippers will absolutely throttle the sorry New York Knicks back to New York and into the draft lottery. Ooh, throttling them. Sam, who do you got? Neither, because both of them suck. <laughs> both? No. No. Um, I don't know. I really don't. But I think the Knicks here are clearly just have more talent. I think R.J. Barrett has been playing well. Julius Randle obviously has some consistency issues. Um, them not playing Cam Reddish don't. Don't really understand that. Alex Burks playing point guard again. Thibodeau, what you doing, cuh? <laughs> so with that, I'm in agreement with uh, Tanner here. I got I got the Clippers. Uh, I don't know why, um, but I think they get done here. And but by the way, I would just like to jump in and say everything that I said about the Knicks applies to everyone on the roster not named R.J. Barrett. <laughs> R.J. Barrett, you are exempt. You are... You have you have shown great strides in your third year, and I am not saying a bad word about you. Everyone else, get it together. Yeah, the, the Knicks, they need to take R.J. Barrett, set him aside. He's untouchable. The rest of the team, maybe Mitchell Robinson. You want to keep him too? I do want to keep Mitchell Robinson, but the fact of the matter is the center position isn't as valuable as others, and he is a very good one. So if the deal is right, I'm not opposed, but he is damn good, and I would like to lock him up if there is not a an appropriate trade partner. Yeah, we we we're seeming to agree a lot here on this episode. I'm I'm not going to pick against the Clippers, especially you know Tanner. You talked about a little bit. The Clippers have been without their best player for the entirety of the season. And uh, PG-13, he's missed 26 games. Even with that, the Clippers – oh, hang on. I'm, I'm sorry. He's, he hasn't missed 26 games. That's the amount of games that he's played in. So he's missed, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of about 38 games. Even with that, the Clippers have, the better, have better records than the Nets and the Lakers – when their two best players have played a combined 26 of the 64-ish games, depending on which team it is, 
But Ty Lue, he should be in the coach of the year conversation because of how well this team has played. Because, Sam, what you said about in terms of talent, yeah, the Knicks have some of have several of the best players in this game. But even in spite of that, this team, the Clippers, the way they play together as a team, not as a group of individuals, as the Clippers did a few years ago, where they blew a 3-1 lead to the Nuggets, this team plays like a team, plays cohesive defense all the time, and is going to get a win in L.A. It, uh, it pains me to think about uh, that 3-1 lead. I don't know why I brought that up because it just made me feel bad. <laughs> Let's go to the last game. They'll be picking the Bulls and the 76ers. This one is on Monday night. A good game to look forward to. What's happening here between these two teams? I mean, come on. Yes, I got the 76ers. I think uh, Embiid and Harden are gelling well together, even though they shoot a ridiculous amount of free throws, but that's uh, we've already talked about that. But I think uh, the 76ers get done here. Sam, that is a great pick. What a combination they are. The the diversity and offensive uh, abilities. Um, Embiid being a versatile seven-footer, almost averaging 30 points a game. James Harden, what he's able to do off the pick and roll. Again, something Joel Embiid is particularly good at. The two are a match made in heaven. That starting lineup is as scary as it gets. And Philly may have cemented themselves as the favorite in the East, but the favorite of this game. So I think Philly's going to take, take it to Chicago at home. In the month of February, the Chicago Bulls played five teams that are in the top four of each conference. And in those, four, in those five games, the Chicago Bulls went – 0-5. The Chicago Bulls beat who they're supposed to beat, and when it's a competitive game against someone who seems to be of equal talent, the Bulls don't seem to be able to get it done. I hate the fact that we're picking a lot of teams, a lot of games the same way, but I'm not going to pick against who I think is going to win. And the Bulls haven't been able to prove a single time that they can get a win against a team that is either at their strength or better. And I don't think they start here, especially against a team that just got a new dynamic duo and is one of the best teams in the NBA. So Sixers across the way. Let's wrap up the episode with a few questions. The first one, up to date, because we've gone through about 60 to 65 games. We're past the All-Star break. We have a pretty good idea of what the season has been. So up to date, who's your NBA MVP? I'm going to stick right here in Philadelphia because it's got to be Joel Embiid. I mean, I talked a little bit about his diversity of scoring and, and how he's averaging 30 a game. I mean, his, his full stats thus far are 29.8 points per game, 11.1 rebounds per game, and adding in four assists, four and a half assists as uh, – as what ha who has been the main offensive option for most of the year. Yes, of course, it helps that he got – he now has James Harden, but that wasn't the case for a majority of the year. And look at team success. I mean, they are right there in the elite of the East and, and of the up, upper echelon, mainly in part due to the play 
of Joel Embiid. I know, and, and I think that's the biggest drawback from Nikola Jokic is, is uh, team success. But again, with all that being with all that being said, the leading scorer, Joel Embiid, he's my MVP. Yeah, talking, talk uh, that's a great pick, Tanner. But talking about team success, how can you not talk about the Grizzlies and what John Morant has done this season? Averaging 27.6 points, six rebounds, and 6.6 assists, just absolutely dominating and carrying this team to heights nobody, nobody really predicted for this Grizzlies team. So just with the combination of the dominating performances we've seen John Morant put on these past couple games and throughout the season, truly, and the unexpected success of the Grizzlies, I, I got to go with my guy, John Morant. You guys are really putting me in a weird spot here because there's two guys that I really liked more than anyone else here. And that's Joel Embiid and that's John Morant. Those guys seem to be the front runners in this race. Right behind them, you have a few guys, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, but MVP voted for Teague. That's definitely something that's going to set in for Giannis this year. He's been having another great Giannis-like season. He's averaging roughly 29 points a game, 11 boards a game. Giannis is going to be up there again, but I don't think he's going to be able to win it. Uh, someone else who's up there is that of Nikola Jokic. He's been having a great year. He's averaging something in the range of 29 points a game and 11 boards a game. Like, and I mean, that's not even going to get his assists into the situation, which is eight assists a game. He's also someone who's won a recent MVP and his team success isn't quite where you'd like to see it. I'd like to throw DeRozan into the, uh, I'd like to throw his cat into the ring as well, but What's the flaw of his situation? He's got some of the stats. He's roughly 26, 6, and 6, but he can't win against the best teams. The guy who I like to win MVP, it's one of those two guys, it's, and it's someone who's been dominating for a larger portion of the season in my eyes. John Morant was out for quite some time, and his team was still doing so well without him. Joel Embiid, on the other hand, has been playing for – of more games and has been more dominant throughout those games, filling out all of the stats. And like Joe, um, it kind of surprised me pulling up no, uh, Jokic's stats, just how dominant he's been. But again, does MVP, MVP fatigue kind of set in there with someone who just recently won? What do you guys think about some of those players that I named outside of the front runners? Um, I, well, I think just one thing about Jokic, um, he, his current numbers are 25 and a half, 14 and eight. I think you said 29. So it's just slightly overstated, but I mean, 25 and a half, 14 and eight is <laughs> absurd. That is, that is absurd numbers. Um, I think, I mean, w- when you look at who the favorites are, is that John Moran is not getting enough love in this conversation. I mean, you talked about how he's one of the people people that jumped into your mind. I think last episode I said he should have been an MVP favorite. He's Sam's favorite. I mean, the dude has led the most surprising team in the NBA. I mean, for all the reasons we said in the beginning where we named him as our winner, he needs to get more love. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the MVP odds right now, John Brandt's fifth, like his odds are plus 1800. You have Embiid who's at 100. 
Jokic, who's at 300, Giannis at 500. How is John Morant nearly at 2,000? Like, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Clearly, the injury is impacting it when it – I personally don't think it should have a huge – because he missed what? How many? Get, he didn't miss a whole lot, if I remember correctly. But I guess that matters. <laughs> Sam would like to have a word with the odds makers, or just place a bet, put your money where your mouth is. John Morant has played, he's, been, he's missed nine. Their record without him, which is five and four. So it's like, yeah, it's, if it was like six and zero, oh, it'd have been like okay, maybe that. But yeah. That's, that's so, interesting. Yeah. So one of the best teams in the league went a hair over 500 without one of the best players. And we so don't just, know. They could have played the Pelicans, uh, <laughs> the Lakers. <laughs> they could have played the Lakers. Yeah, because, I mean, the if you look at the NBA standings, the West is someone that's rather top-heavy. Like, the, the, the top three teams in the, in the West – all have better records than any team in the East, but then then you look at everybody else, and as it's, I mean, how how do how do the Clippers have the eight seed in the West? Like, if this was the West of old, like several years ago, the Clippers wouldn't be sniffing the playoffs without uh, you know Paul George and Kawhi for a majority of the season. Those are MVPs, two guys on Embiid, one on Morant. We'll see how that plays out the rest of the year. The next question we got, who should be the number one team in college basketball after seven of the top ten lose in one day? We talked about those upsets. With that, who should be the number one right now? Yeah, obviously with a lot of upsets, this is an interesting uh, take. Obviously, all of those were pretty um, good games, close. How much do you put on those losses? Especially, like I said, they were the home team won. Um, but with that being said, I'm going to go with the team that won, and that's Duke Blue Devils. Um, and one of the best players in college basketball, uh, Paolo Bencato, um, really has done well. Coach K got the boys right, and uh, I I think they're uh, should be number one. I'm not saying they're the best team because I don't believe that, but I think they are deserving of number one. It's kind of weird when something that I said after all these upsets happened was, what does the top ten look like? Because when so many teams lose, is it like anyone even lost? Is it that so many teams lost that it doesn't even matter? Like I, yeah. I, I like I like Duke, but the thing about Duke is that they didn't really play anybody last week. They beat Virginia and they beat Syracuse, and you know those those are two teams that have great names. Like it's Virginia and Syracuse; those are historic teams, but in down years. And if they had gotten a top twenty-five win. Uh, it feels like they probably would have hopped all the way up to one. I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Gonzaga just for the fact that they were the one team and Duke didn't beat anyone great enough in my mind to go all the way from seven to one in one week, even though uh, one through six all lost. But in terms of who's deserving, I like that argument of it being Duke because they won, but with how many teams lost, 
And the fact that Duke didn't even beat anyone that good, I'm okay with having Gonzaga stay at number one. Yeah, I think they got it right keeping Gonzaga at number one. For everything you said, Keegan, also you look at, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are are underestimating the quality of team that St. Mary's is. I mean, they don't have the name, something that you said, but they're, they're a good basketball team. Gonzaga did not play well. Not excusing the loss. They should not have lost. But compared to some of the others, it's not the worst loss in the world. Where I think the committee absolutely messed up is, is keeping Arizona at two. Yeah. I mean, I think Duke, I mean, as for all the reasons you said, Sam certainly deserved to be catapulted up to two. I mean, Baylor had one of the strongest weeks out of anybody in the top 10 and then fell behind a team who just lost by 16 to Colorado. So I don't agree with Arizona. I think they got it right keeping Gonzaga at one for everything, uh, you know, we kind of said here. So, yeah. And I think the interesting thing to throw in there is who got the first place votes in the top 25? Because Gonzaga, you know, of course, led the way with 46 of the first place votes. But the team that landed second in Arizona didn't receive a single first place vote. Duke, the person who you were championing for, Sam, got the second amount of first place votes with 11. And Baylor got four first place votes. So it's kind of strange where the team that got the second most first place votes ended up fourth. And I, I totally agree with you, Tanner. Like Arizona being second makes no sense. The first three should have been some combination of Gonzaga, Baylor, and Duke. And Arizona just snuck their way in there, I guess. Last question of the episode to wrap this thing up. And Sam, this one comes from Carol. It's come from your mom. Now that the weather is warming up, what's your favorite outdoor activity? A little context to this. Not only is the weather warming up across the country, here in Iowa, you know, we typically see like 30s. Today and yesterday, we saw 60s. So like, it is definitely, definitely warming up here in the state of Iowa, but across the United States as well. But favorite outdoor activity now that it's warming up. So so many activities. (laughs) So much room for activity. (laughs) I'll say what I don't like doing outside first, and that's that's running, kind of the worst thing you could possibly do. Um, but favorite, I I really like hammocking. I'm not gonna lie. Um, got me myself in Eno. Iowa has some good uh, good hammocking spots around town. And I like just vibing in my hammock, listening to some music. So I, I think that's my uh, that's my answer. You know, Sam, we are on a similar wavelength. Mine is not quite in a hammock. Um, I actually I drive a Jeep Wrangler that the top can be pulled back. Ooh. So on a nice spring and summer evening, sun is setting. Throw on the sunglasses, turn on some music, and go for a nice drive. In the in the cool, you know that weird. It's warm out, but it's cool because of the breeze, and it's a perfect temperature. And it is just it's just a great place to relax, to to vibe. You you actually remind me of something that I did earlier today that I haven't done in months, and that's when I was driving to work. Hold the windows down a little bit. And to to be fair, I my hours are weird. I work from one to nine. So I'm not rolling the windows down and it's 7.30 in the morning. You know, it was, it was midday. It was peak, you know, peak heat. It was around 62 degrees, but 
driving to work with the windows down. I have not had the windows down for months. Like that's, that's one of the things you take advantage of. And I didn't even realize how great it felt because damn, it felt amazing. Uh, one of, was like hammocking, rolling the windows down, taking the top down in your car. Those are great picks. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is just like, just being able to casually just toss the ball around, whether it's, it's like play catch with a football, as I play catch with a baseball, go out to the driveway, shoot some hoops. Like I'm one of the things I'm looking forward to do this weekend is I'm be heading back home uh, to visit some family. And uh, it's, it's looking like this weekend will be pretty nice. So looking to go out and play some horse with, uh, I say with some younger brothers out there and some good stuff to look forward to. So wherever you are, if you're able to get out there, enjoy the nice weather, if you have already been enjoying it, let us know what you've been doing. Who's your MVP? What's your favorite outdoor activity? Let us know. But that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for this episode. Make sure to throw us a follow on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at crunchtime underscore pod. The clock has now run out on this episode, but we'll see you in the next one on Crunch Time.